So there are a couple things I just want to point out because uh, those of you that have looked ahead in the program know that we're talking about uh, race today. And I, I just want to say we didn't ask Lisa to, to do the MC thing today because of that. She was already scheduled. We were joking about that last week. want to let you know that. The other thing, too, is um, we, like all the stuff that's happened in Virginia just the last, within the last few weeks, Charlottesville, Richmond, all that kind of stuff, this is not a response to that. So I'm really not going to be talking about it this morning. Um, I, I actually planned to talk about this a year ago. This, this week. And so I think it's interesting how God moves and how the Holy Spirit works uh, when we look and, and we talk about the things that impact our lives and how God wants us to interact with those things and deal with them, uh, how he kind of plans things out. Uh, because I had no idea all, all this stuff was going to happen. In fact, uh, I just, this past weekend, uh, I went on my retreat to plan for the 2018 calendar year. So if you want to get a preview about what's going to happen next year, I guess, you can look at that if you want. I'm just kidding. It doesn't, doesn't necessarily work uh, just like that. It's, it's like these topics are tough, right? They're not necessarily fun to listen to or talk about uh, or, or preach about necessarily for me, but, but they're good and it impacts our, our daily life. And I just want to point out that adults ruin everything. They really do. Like, when we grow up, we just screw everything up. You ever noticed how kids, like, they can have a really hard time with what we consider to be simple tasks? Like, you ask a four-year-old to pour themselves a bowl of cereal, and what do you expect? Like, that, we, we think, like, that, that's going to be an easy, simple task. If, if you go tell a four-year-old, like, pour your own Cocoa Pebbles, you're going to have Cocoa Pebbles all over the place. I mean, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be a mess. All right. But you ask a four-year-old, you say, hey, how should, how should you treat, how should I treat someone whose skin is a different color for them, and they're going to blow your mind. I don't know if you saw earlier this year in March, there were these two friends named Jax and Reddy. Uh, Jax is four, Reddy is five, and they're in preschool together. And Jax, his mom told him, he said, this weekend, you got to get your hair cut. It's get, getting, getting a little bit too long. And so Jax said, his best friend Reddy at preschool, he said, you know what I want to do? I want to get my hair cut exactly like Reddy so that when we go in on Monday, our preschool teacher can't tell us apart. We're going to look exactly the same. They're best friends. They're the same size. And, and we're going to get the same haircut. And I just want to show you. Oh, it's already up there. Mike, you... You preempted. That's that's all right. That's all right. Um, but but check check that out. Isn't that awesome? I mean, they look exactly the same, don't they? You better say yes. <laughs> the preschool teacher did. And how like how amazing that that story when it came out because there's not a whole lot of good news you know on and stuff that gave me so much joy, so much joy to read that and see that it feels so good. And then I think, and what's going to happen as they grow up? And as they're introduced to other perspectives and other influences in their life. Because what we're talking about today, racism and what it looks like to have a just ethnicity, like we don't have this problem because we're born with it. We have this problem because we're taught it and because it's ingrained in culture and society and how we interact with each other. Adults ruin everything. And it's not just a shame that that's the case. But, but it also is a problem with, with how God has created us in his image. And, and if we don't do this right, if we don't get this right, if we don't handle this right, then we, we are taking out what God intended for us and how we're supposed to interact, interact with each other and replacing it with something we create, and that never works. 
And this is not like God made us in his own image. Like, Jesus isn't white. I know you've seen the paintings, and he's blonde hair and blue eyes, you know, but he's not white. And Jesus isn't black. This isn't a God came down. Jesus actually was a Middle Eastern Jewish man with olive complexion and dark hair and dark beard and wore robes. Like, he, he was a real person, and that's what he really looked like. And so how do we handle that, and how do we live that out in our, in our lives? See, there's a lot of things. I, for example, I, I personally have not confronted racism in our church with, with individuals here. And I've actually asked people in our church, hey, do we have an issue with this anywhere in our church? I've asked that question. I haven't personally confronted with that, that um, at least if, if you're racist, you kept it for, to yourself. And I really appreciate that. Like, that's great. <laughs> keep, keep it up. You're doing great. Um, but, of course, none of us would admit, like, we're racist. You know what I mean? Like, that's not some, most of us, none of us here would admit that we're racist. But, you know, it's kind of interesting because we'll say some awkward things to try to prove that we're not, and, and it probably doesn't mean what we hope it does. You ever, you ever said or heard somebody say, like, I've got a black friend, or I've got a white friend? You know, like, I, I know <laughs> lots, of, like, lots of times, probably, right? And, and we use that, and we say that. It's like, oh, yeah, I can understand the perspective of somebody else that has a different skin color to me. Yeah, it probably doesn't mean what you think it, think it means. Or you ever heard somebody say it, or maybe, maybe you've said it before, you ever said, uh, I don't see color? You know, they got glasses that help out with that now. They're just sharing the videos on Facebook, like it looks really cool. By the way, I'm, I'm white. I don't know if you could tell you probably had a hard time. It, it probably doesn't mean what we think it means when we say things like that. We try to prove that we're not racist or we don't have an issue and so it doesn't affect us and impact us. And it probably doesn't, you know, I get it. And consider this some good-natured uh, teasing, but we're probably not communicating what we hope to when we say stuff like that. Especially since for a lot of us, there's still some subtle ways that are ingrained in us and how we've been raised that impact how we view other people with a different shade of melanin in their skin. Some of you, do you remember uh, several years ago, there's this movie that came out, Hunger Games, about five years ago, and there was a big hullabaloo around that movie because there were some characters that were cast that people expected to be white when they were cast. Did you hear about this? Maybe not. But it was an interesting study in microcosm and how race impacts and how people, how people view that out in sometimes innocent ways. Because they would say, people were like, oh, these characters, I, I expected this little girl in this movie, I expected her to be this innocent little blonde white girl instead of some black girl. That's one of the things that was said. This became a big thing. It was all over Twitter, CNN, all these news outlets were, were talking about this and bringing that out. And they were talking about how, like, you don't have to be intentionally racist, right? Somebody, somebody didn't say that to intentionally say that. But what does it mean to have this mentality where we would say something like that, something like an innocent white girl versus some black girl? Like, where does that come from that we would think that a white girl would portray innocence better? Especially when the author was interviewed and she was described, this character in the book was described as having dark brown skin, and the author said, yes, I wrote that character as an African-American. Like, where does that come from? And how do we recognize that? And how do we deal with that as Christ followers in this world? I don't think in, most of any of the people who shared that opinion set out to be racist. But some of the things that make the issue of race messy, still touchy, and still divisive today is that wrong ideas and wrong thinking can be so deeply ingrained in us that we don't even realize that it's coming out in how we're living our lives and interacting with other people. I think I can give you a quick example that maybe you've done in your life before I know I have. 
Have you ever been telling somebody a story or an interaction of something that's happened in your life? Like maybe you went and got coffee and you had this interaction with someone that was in line and you say, yeah, I was standing in line to get coffee and this black lady was beside me and she was really nice to me and that was great. Why would I point out her skin color in sharing that story? Or maybe, you, you know, you've been talking with someone and you said, yeah, man, I've got, I've got this, uh, this uh, I was driving to work and this white guy cut me off. Because white guys always do that. They're always cutting you off trying to get to work, especially getting into Dominion when you're coming down 250 over here. It's crazy. They're always doing that. Why, why are you bringing up the color of their skin? What does that have to do with your story or that interaction that you have with that people? See, what we're doing when we do that is, is we're trying to shorten our assumptions and stereotypes to share the story more quickly about how we view people like that. It's something that we don't even think about. Like, and it's, it's kind of racist when we do that. But we don't even think, I mean, it's not even something we consider. We're like, well, we're going to identify that the person that we're talking about is not the same skin color as us. Why do we do that? What does that mean? And, and a lot of times we, we hear that kind of, and I know some of you are kind of skeptical about that. Is, ah, is that really that big of a deal? Like, is that really kind of racist? I don't know. Well, see, the, the biggest issue and the greatest leap forward that we could take as a church is just to recognize that there are very nuanced and very subtle ways and impacts that the issue of race has had on our culture and has on the subculture of our church and how we interact with other people. Let's remember that it wasn't until 1964 that the Civil Rights Act desegregated on the state level and was enforced by the federal government. Some of you grew up with that. It was only 53 years ago, especially if you had any connection with the Deep South. Some of you in this room have lived through that recent part of our nation's history, and all of us are still feeling the impact. I've got family that are racist say racist things. Let's talk about the church. In the church, on the one hand, in our nation's history, we had preachers who preached pro-slavery messages, who misused the text of the Bible to say that slavery was fine, and Christians believed it. On the other hand, we've got William Wilberforce and Christians who championed and pursued abolition and led the abolitionist movement. We've got a messy history, and the one thing that doesn't help is when we ignore it and we don't talk about it and don't recognize it as a thing. We've got to recognize it. We've got to admit that we got it wrong in the past. And if anyone is going to continue to help things better, it's not going to be by denying that there are places in which it exists that we don't expect. I'm not sure when the last time it was when you talked with someone who had a different experience or perspective or skin color as you about these issues, but I want to share a couple of perspectives from people in our church who have a different skin color from me. I asked them three different questions, and they responded, and I'm sharing these anonymously. Um, and, and here, I'm going to give you the questions and the two, uh, a couple of perspectives from that. The first was, how has race impacted your life? Have you experienced racism? If so, what did that look like? The first is, is this, I can't really say how race has impacted my life. It's not always clear what motives people have for treating you a certain way or opening and closing doors. I can say that I'm very aware that I'm black and cognizant of the fact that I don't look like the majority of folks with whom I associate. I'd rather not describe a racism experience. The second, another perspective was this, 
Having started school in the late 60s, where my brother and I were the only black kids in the whole elementary school, it was quite evident to me that different was bad. I learned isolation, loneliness, and inferiority from school. while simultaneously being encouraged at home after all my parents started me in first grade at age five. It was confusing. My overall takeaway was that I was smart and I could be successful. I just couldn't have friends. And here I am now at age 55. I'm still smart. I have only one really close friend. And I'd say I'm moderately successful because I've accomplished a lot. Traveled, educated, employed, raised a family alone. But my work life is continuously challenged when I come across coworkers who treat me as inferior. My ideas aren't good, so they aren't listened to. Yet my verbalized thoughts are often reformed and uttered by someone else and then thought of as great. When I stand up for myself, it can't be because I'm right. I'm treated as if it can only be because I must be jealous. If I execute a project well, it must be because I had help. It goes on, but you get the idea. You might not feel like you deal with racism. And you might feel like things have gotten a lot better, which I think they have, and I believe that too. But these are people within our congregation, our brothers and sisters in Christ, who deal with this day in and day out. The second question I asked was this. When the topic of racism comes up, how do you respond? What do you want others to understand about your perspective? I like to engage, the, one response was, I like to engage in discussion on racism. I'm not as interested in the flaring emotions as the historical and uh, socio-political topics arise. My kids and I discuss prejudice fairly often. In a recent discussion with my daughter, I told her to always give a person the chance to show you who they are and then govern yourself accordingly. If someone hates, dislikes, or disrespects you because of your skin color, it's very much a personal problem and unfortunate. I don't believe in returning hate. That can be tough to adhere to in certain situations. Another perspective was this. Occasionally, I broach the subject of race as a learning experience for peers to help them understand that there's an extra layer to process among those of us who are from a diverse background. Listen to this description, because I think this is hugely important, and I'll tell you why. It's sort of like someone who is non-English speaking, engaging in a conversation with an English speaker, so they have to translate and respond quickly in order to keep up in the conversation. Here's why I think that description is so brilliant. It's because Americans are pretty good at being really snotty with people whose language, whose, who, for them, English is a second language. And how arrogant is it? Like, we can't speak other languages. And yet, we'll treat someone whose primary language is French or something like that, and they speak English. It's like, why can't you speak English any better than that? Like, that's one of the things that we do pretty regularly. And I, I just think that's such a brilliant Thing, way to, to describe that. Anyway, as an example, my son used to love to wear hoodies in his early teens, always had it covering up his head. Once in a shopping center strip mall, his innocent boyish burst of energy caused him to run across the parking lot. I told him I'd meet him in GameStop, so he wanted to get there as fast to have more in-store time. But as a parent of a person of color, it was a worry as the world could interpret that imagery as he must have stolen something. Would anyone, ever, would anyone else ever have to consider that as a potential life-ending moment? I don't, I don't know, like, where you are in your life. I don't know how that makes you feel hearing those stories. 
But, but even more important, after hearing these experiences, I want you to hear the responses to this last question. How can the church continue to show a godly light on tough topics like race? The church can continue to welcome all Here's one perspective. The church can continue to welcome all people, keep the lines of communication open about various cultures, and celebrate its diversity every now and then. And then the other, uh, another perspective was different is just different, and we're all different beyond what we can just see. So don't succumb to assumptions and stereotypes brought on by skin color or hair texture or verbal accents. Try to get to know the person and how they treat you before passing judgment on whether they are a godly person or not. Can, can you hear and can you see? Like for me, it's a visual thing for me to hear those personal experiences and then the response, the graciousness and the mercy of the responses and how other people, man, if we could just have some understanding and, and admit that we have a different experience and perspective, we can move forward. If we want to have a just view of ethnicity in our life, we have a responsibility to sit at this table and to hear and to listen and try to understand, put ourselves in the shoes of other people that have a different perspective and have a different experience for us to even challenge ourselves and be informed by people who have lived different lives. Jesus does this all the time. As he's teaching, as he's interacting with people, as he's asked questions in Luke chapter 10, which if you have your Bibles with you, you can, uh, you can turn to that in verses 25 through 37. Jesus has this interaction with this expert in the law who comes to him. This is a religious elite person. This is someone who's at the top of the food chain. And they come up to Jesus and they say, you know, hey, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, as always, when asked a question, responds with a question. He says, what is, what is the, uh, what is the, what's written in the law? Like, what do you see? What, what do you think it says? And the expert in the law says, well, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. But the expert in the law, this teacher, he wanted to justify himself. And he, he said, well, who is my neighbor? He wanted to justify himself because he wanted to be able to pick and choose who he loved. And so Jesus, instead of answering that question, he tells a parable. And he says, there's a man walking down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And as he was going along, robbers came along, and they beat him up. They took all of his stuff. They left him on the side of the road for dead. He said, he's there, he's laying there, and along comes a priest. A priest, this is the person who is making sacrifices for the nation of Israel. This is the person who had gone in as people were bringing animals to sacrifice uh, on behalf of their sins. They would be doing that. So this is a big-time person. He's walking down the road. He sees this person laying on the side of the road at a distance, and he says, uh-uh. He goes over to the other side of the road and passes by quickly. He said, then a Levite comes down the road. Now, a Levite, they helped the priests. They were kind of like assistants. And so they were working in the temple. They were co constantly involved in all the religious practices of Israel. He's walking down. He walks up to the guy. He sees him laying there, and he's like, nope. And so he goes over to the other side of the road and crosses by. He said, then a third person comes along, and this person is a Samaritan. And this Samaritan comes along. He sees this guy on the side of the road, and he stops and he helps him. 
He helps him get up on his donkey. He takes him to an inn. He gives the innkeeper two days worth of earnings to take care of him and to, uh, to heal him. He helps to wash out his wounds with oil and wine, which are you know, things that they would use to, to clean a wound at that time. And he says, when I come back this way, I'll pay you whatever I owe you up to this point. Just make sure you take care of this person and help, help him get well. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to check on him. And so Jesus says in verses 36 and 37, he asks this, this religious elite guy, this religious uh, leader and expert in, in, uh, in faith, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You might be wondering, like, what? <laughs> that, that didn't have anything to do with race. You have to know a little bit of history here. Because there's a reason why this expert in the law didn't just say the Samaritan. It's because Samaritans were less than human. They were racial half-breeds. And they were viewed as being not even as important or not even as, as worthy of existing as, as, as the Jews. I mean, they were Jews that way in the past had intermarried with other people groups. And so the pure blood at the time, they viewed them, that it was a racist thing. This guy couldn't even bring himself to say, well, the Samaritan is the one who, who like lived out God's love in this, in this situation, lived out this mercy. And Jesus makes this point that, that this idea about loving our neighbor and what that looks like has, has no bearing on our ideas about their worth, has no bearing on our ideas about our perspective and our experiences. It has no bearing on what our ideas and opinions and thoughts are on statues, but it has everything to do with our actions and how we enter into the lives of other people and help them when they are broken and hurting See, loving our neighbor likewise looks like this. It looks like not being passive. The priest, like he wouldn't even, you know, if he touched a dead body, he'd be unclean. I'd be so inconvenient. He doesn't even walk up to the guy. He, he takes a wide berth and he says, man, I'm not even going to engage. Like I, I'm, I just, this is, this is a crazy, I'll let other people worry about that. I'm not, I'm not even going to touch that kind of stuff. Don't be passive. People who love their neighbors don't avoid the trouble their neighbor is in. The other way we love our neighbors is that we're not dismissive. The Levite walked up to this guy. He saw what kind of condition he was in. He could tell that he was still alive, and he said, no, I'm, uh, yeah, I just, this guy probably deserved it. Or this guy was in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's his fault. He, he knew what this guy had been through, and he still crossed the road and walked down. People who love their neighbors don't remain willfully ignore it when inconvenienced by their neighbor's reality. And the other way that we love our neighbors, likewise, is that we accept responsibility. You know, as, a, as a church, our second rule is no one stands alone. And for the church, the big C global church, no one should stand alone. So let's not be satisfied with just recognizing that there are people in our lives who have been beat up simply because of race. But let's let our actions and words be catalysts for the healing of the pain and brokenness of others, even if it was caused by someone else. It's not about whether or not you did it. 
or you were racist. It's about whether or not that other experience, the other person had this experience. And privilege, like that, that's, like I said that, and some of you, some of you were triggered, like trigger warning, you know, privilege, you know, we're, we're going to talk about that. That's such a hot button topic of today. And, and the only thing that I really want to tell you or share with you from Jesus and from Scripture is that regardless of where you come from, as Christ followers, we have all been given the privilege from God to make love tangible for others. We, we all have that privilege. So whether you're an expert of the law on top of the food chain or a marginalized Samaritan, and whether you're red, yellow, black, and white, or white, we're all precious in God's sight. So much so that Jesus came and took death away from us and said, I'll be back to make the healing complete. You keep doing the good work that I started. And after I'm done preparing a place for every tribe, tongue, and nation, we'll all join together at the same table and enjoy the feast that I prepared for you.